My name is Diego Marroquin. I'm originally from El Salvador, Central America. I came to the United States uh, back in 2014. I was basically fleeing my country, so I had to come over here and seek asylum. It's been a process since, you know, with immigration up until now that I got my green card. It's been great, but at the same time, it's been a little hard. I have family that lives in other states, but I've been here, you know, pretty much by myself. I was going through anxiety and depression. The first six months of 2022, that's where it was like the darkest of the times. I just didn't feel like literally doing anything. I felt like life didn't have any meaning at all. Last year, I was having a conversation with one of my friends because, uh, you know, he knew that I was going through that. And he's like, but Diego, you had a really good job and like, you know, you make good money. You're just, you know, having that type of lifestyle that many people will probably desire. But at the same time, I feel like, you know, something's missing and that probably is like your spiritual part. That kind of resonated in, in my head and I'm like, what does that exactly mean? I'm one of those people that just come to church, literally walked in, sit down, well, grab my coffee, sit down, then come back out and I don't talk to anybody. Every time I was here, like the services, like every Sunday, I felt like the pastors were like, they made that sermon for me. You know, like encouragement, like don't give up and like, uh, you know, keep going. In October, there was a baptism services. I remember that that Sunday, the pastors were like, if you haven't signed up or whatever, you can just come over, we're ready, we're gonna get you. We got, you know, clothes and everything. And I was like this close to do it, but I chicken out. After I left church, I talked to my mom and I was just crying and I was telling mom, you know, like I was literally super close to get baptized and she started crying and she was like, you know, getting baptized is a big step. Are you sure you wanna do it? And I'm like, yeah, I'm 100% sure that I wanna do it. One day I just woke up after praying all this time for the last eight months, I don't think I've ever been so vulnerable in my life. I told my mom, yeah, I'm ready. And she was like, and if you really feel that it's time for you to do it, if you feel it in your heart, then it's time. So it was just a Sunday, January 22nd, after the 9 a.m. service, and I didn't know how to do it. I just literally walked over to the front. She's like, you ready to get baptized today? I was like, yeah, let's do it. They got the tub ready and I got baptized. For me, the help that I needed, I found it at church. I found it with Jesus. And it took one friend to like, tell me like, maybe it's the spiritual part that is missing in your, in your life. I know there's a lot of people that are dealing with the same things that I'm dealing. I know there's a lot more Diego's out there. They don't need to care about what other people are gonna think because at the end, it's the relationship with you and God. And I felt that Jesus found me. I didn't find him. And I said, God, forgive me because I was a fool if I thought that I was gonna make this on my own. Getting baptized for me is basically I'm renewed, I'm reborn, and I'm just ready for the great things that the Lord has for me. Diego, we just want to thank you for sharing your story. And, and you know, you may be in that place today where maybe you're thinking, you know what, I, I, I feel this tug that I need to go public with my faith in Christ. Or maybe, maybe this is new to you and, uh, and you're just, maybe you're spiritually unresolved and you're trying to figure out what, what life with God looks like. And Diego's story speaks to you. Well, we want to, want to encourage you today that, uh, that that can be a part of your story. And we'll have an opportunity at the end. And again, like Kyle said, don't let anything be a barrier from you following what God is calling you to do. I mean, we've got everything you can imagine. Um, take care. We've got change of clothes, towels. We've got deodorant, you know, hair product, makeup. <laughs> if you're a middle school boy, we've got Axe body spray like you just... <laughs> 
we can, we can help you out. So nothing would be a barrier for you taking that step. And today we're in this Awaken series and we're finishing up this series where we're, where we're looking at we're looking at this conversation that Jesus had with the disciples in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, what we call the upper room discourse, the conversation right before he went to the cross. And it is uh, the, the chapter we're going to look at today, it really is, it's a prayer. And uh, he finishes the conversation with prayer. And so today we're going to talk about prayer, but I want you to know it matters when you pray. And it matters when other people pray for you. When I was in my early 20s, I was at a, at a worship service at a big church. It wasn't the church that I went to. I just happened to be at that, that church. And it was 2,500 seats, so a lot of people. And there was a balcony up above, and people were worshiping and singing. I was in a room full of people, but I felt so alone. I felt so alone, and as people were singing, my heart was just, I was just burdened. There were habits that I couldn't get rid of. There were things that I was carrying. There were decisions that I needed to make, and I just felt overwhelmed. You ever felt that something? Just overwhelmed. And, uh, and I, I knew I needed, to, I needed to find somewhere to pray. So I snuck away from the crowd. I kind of went back behind the crowd. In the back of the room, there was this little storage closet with some like a linoleum floor. And I remember I went down and I just got on my knees and I just began to pray there. And I was just praying. I was just saying, I, could, I didn't have really like long, profound prayers. It was just like, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. I can't do this. I need you. And it was just prayers of desperation. And... Uh, and then I, I, I just, I felt a hand on my back. And I just remember that, I was like, Lord, is that you? You know, like, <laughs> and I look over out of the corner of my eye and I see a pair of Doc Martens. I'm like, there is an angel that wears Doc Martens like right behind me. <laughs> and then I hear this prayer that's being prayed and it was like, it was like the words that my soul, like it was words that I couldn't, I didn't have the words to pray. My heart was so heavy and my heart was so troubled that I didn't have the words to pray. I needed somebody else to, to pray for me. And it was like the words this stranger was praying were the words that my heart needed to hear. And, uh, and then we finished up. Amen. I get up and I look and it's a stranger. I've never met this person in my life. And he says, you know, I was sitting up in the balcony and I saw you walk to the back of the room and I felt the spirit prompt me to come and pray for you. It matters when you pray. And it matters when other people pray for you. A few years after that, I was a, I was a youth pastor in a church. And uh, I was at a, was a large church. And one of the first things they did was hand me a sheet of paper and they say, it's your job to do hospital visits today. And so you'd take that and it'd tell where church members were in different hospitals. And, and a lot of these people I'd never met. And sometimes people would just call up and say, hey, we'd like for you to visit this friend. And, you know, so that's the way the church, that church worked. And so we'd go visit strangers. And I remember I went to a hospital and I'm going in, I'm following along, I'm trying to find the room number and trying to find this person. And I go to a room and I knock on the room to go pray with this, with this lady. And I walk in and it's this elderly lady. She must have been in her you know, 80s, late 80s, early 90s. And she's fragile in a hospital gown. And I go in and I, and I tell her, um, you know, I'm, I'm the pastor from the church. I'm here to pray. I'm here to pray for you. And, um, and Miss Glenda, I'd love to pray for you. And I sit down next to her and and she said, my name's not Glenda. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I said, do you go to the, do you go to the church? I said, the name of the church? She said, no. I was like, I got the wrong room. And I was like, well, while I'm here, can I pray for you? And uh, what's your name? And she said, Margaret. And so I prayed for Margaret. And I was more nervous because I was in the wrong room than anything. But I just prayed the best I could in that moment. And then when I get done, I look up, open up my eyes, and she's just, she's crying. 
I said, is everything okay? And she said, yeah. She said, that's the first time in my entire life that someone's prayed my name to God. I was like, so wrong room, right place. It matters when you pray and it matters when other people pray for you. Whether it's somebody, a stranger in Doc Martens or whether it's a rookie pastor just trying to make his way through a hospital. But one of the most glorious spiritual realities that we find in the Bible is the fact that Jesus prays for us. Have you ever heard that? Let me show you a couple of scriptures that just speak to this. And in Romans chapter eight, verse 34 says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That word interceding, it's the word intercession. It means to plead. It means to pray for. That Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he is praying for us. Hebrews speaks to this in Hebrews chapter, chapter 7, verse 25. It tells us, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Who, who are them? Those who have come to God through Christ. Jesus lives to intercede for us. It's a glorious spiritual reality that Jesus is interceding for us. He is interceding for you right now. We can say, I live to eat. I mean, I live for college football. But Jesus lives to make intercession for the saints. He lives to intercede for you. He lives to pray for you right now. And I love the commentary that, that author Dane Ortland that he speaks to this, this, this verse. And he says, God's forgiving, redeeming, restoring touch reaches down into the darkest crevices of our souls, those places where we are most ashamed, most defeated. The more than this, those crevices of sin are themselves the places where Christ loves us the most. His heart willingly goes there. His heart is most strongly drawn there. He knows us to the uttermost and he saves us to the uttermost because his heart is drawn out to us to the uttermost. We cannot sin our way out of his tender care. Our sinning goes to the uttermost, but his saving goes to the uttermost and his saving always outpaces and overwhelms our sinning because he always lives to intercede for us. And if you're not the amen in kind, that's a great place to say amen. <laughs> You can't out the love of God. And that Jesus is interceding on your behalf today. Right now, in this moment, he's praying for you. I remember back last year, I was going through a difficult time and I was dealing with some anxiety and some bouts of fear. And I remember coming across a scripture in Luke chapter 22, where Jesus tells Simon Peter, he says, Simon, he says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail and that when you have turned back, that you would strengthen your brothers. And I remember reading that and I remember it just hit me. I was like, Jesus, you told Simon what you were praying for, that you were praying for Simon. Jesus, what are you praying for me? Like, are you praying for me right now? Because if you're praying for me, I'd love to know what you're praying for because I want to live into that prayer. I want to lean into that prayer. And so I just got real quiet. Jesus, what are you praying and the word that came to mind was trust. For Jesus, I'm going to live into that prayer. I've prayed that other times. I've heard things like love and like rest, like courage and peace. 
I'm like, I want to live into those prayers. What Jesus is praying, those are the prayers I want to live into. Some of you are listening to that. You're like, well, how do you know that's, that's God's voice and not your voice? That's a good question. I mean, I've asked that question before, but, but can I tell you that, that when it's God's voice, it always lines up with his voice in here, with his written word. God never contradicts his word. And so the more we know the word, word of God, the more we understand what is Jesus' voice speaking to us through the spirit. I cannot tell you, I've never asked that question and heard as we ask the question, Jesus, what are you praying for me right now? I never heard Maserati <laughs> or a new iPhone or some fresh Gucci slides. I've never, I've never heard that. But I want to encourage you, just ask him, what are you praying, Jesus? And then he lives to make intercession. But we don't, like, we don't have to, we don't have to wonder. We actually, we can know what he's praying. Because John chapter 17 is his prayer. It is what he prayed for the disciples and not just the disciples in the upper room. It's what he also prayed for us. Look at John 17, 20 with me. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about the disciples. So my prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. So Jesus say, I'm not just praying for the 11 around the table right now. I'm praying for everyone. And so in, a, in that moment, like you were on his mind before he went to the cross, before he, before he suffered death on the cross for our forgiveness of our sin. Jesus was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. He was thinking about us. And he prayed for us. And he, he intercedes for us hours before the cross. He knew that the greatest gift he could give his disciples was prayer for them. Can I tell you, where you have been given responsibility and care for others, the greatest gift you can give is prayer. As a parent, as a boss, employer, as a teacher, as a coach, pastor, small group leader, the greatest gift you can give is your prayer because the shelf life of your prayers are eternal. It says he stores up the prayers of the saints in, a, in bowls, like incense, it rises before him. Our prayers have, a, have an eternal shelf life. And so the power of our prayers, God is still working even after we're gone. And some of you are experiencing answers to prayers. Your grandmother, your grandfather, your great-grandmother, people you, maybe even you've never met that have prayed for you. Prayer is powerful. It matters when we pray. It matters when other people pray for us. And in this chapter, we get a glimpse into Jesus' prayer. When, my, when I was growing up and I was in high school, um, my mom, sometimes she would leave out her prayer journal on the kitchen table. And, uh, and I would sometimes look inside to see what she was, what she was, I'm not talking about the ethics of it. I'm just telling you like what I did. And I would read in there because well, I want to know what's mom praying. I want to know what did God tell her? I want to know what does she know? that I don't know that she knows. But in that also, through reading some of those prayers, I got to, got to like, understand her heart. When you hear somebody pray, you catch a glimpse of their heart. You catch a glimpse of the intimacy that they have with God. And through Jesus' prayer, we catch a glimpse of the heart of God crying out like for us. And it is a gold mine. I mean, it is, it is holy ground. There's, there are moments in this prayer in John 17 where it's just like, do I need to take off my shoes like Moses because it's holy ground? Jesus has such, lived with such intimacy and lives with such intimacy with the Father. 
And so I want us to pick up in verse one. And what I want you to do, what I want to do is I wish I could teach a whole series on this prayer, but I just want to give you four things that are on Jesus' prayer, prayer list from this prayer. It starts in verse one. He says, after this, Jesus said, said, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. When we think about prayer, oftentimes we think about doing this, like posture of prayer, clasping our hands, closing our eyes, bowing our heads. But when Jesus is praying, he, t- he assumes the, the traditional Jewish prayer posture of opening up his hands and lifting his head toward heaven. This is an expectant posture. This is ready to receive. Maybe the only reason we need to clasp our hands is so that we don't grab our iPhone. But like this, this is like to receive, ready to receive from the father. And he just looks up. He knew who his audience was. He wasn't, he wasn't praying to the disciples. He was praying to his father. I was meeting with this old wiser retired or old wiser pastor down in Chattanooga. And I drove down and met with him. We were meeting at PF Chang's and we were eating some of those um, dumplings and and uh, drink some of that. Those dumplings are delicious. And then like some of, some of that green tea, we were just, and we were just having a conversation. And he'd say, you know what I've been doing before I pray? You know how I was going to start my prayer? No. He said, I've been pausing. He said, I just take a long pause and remember who I'm talking to. It's like, how many times do we just rush into prayer? Rather than just take a pause and remember who we're talking to. Jesus, hands open, eyes lifted up, says, Father, And he begins to pray. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they will know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So you read through the gospel of John over and over. Jesus is saying, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Here in John 17, he's like, my hour is here. What is the hour that's here? The hour that is here is his glory. What is his glory? The glory is the cross. When we think glory, we think success. But for Jesus, the cross was success because the cross meant that you and I would be forgiven, that we would be redeemed, that we would be reconciled with God. The cross is success for Jesus because it meant that he purchased your life and brought you back from being dead to your sins and brought you to life in him. Jesus did not just come to be a good teacher. He did not just come to be a moral example. He did not just come to to be a miracle worker. He did not come to start a religion. He came to reconcile a sinful man with a holy God. And that's why the cross is glory to him. And he said, Father, I am entering in. The hour has come. And what does he pray for? He prays that we would have eternal life. What's eternal life? When we think of eternal life, we're like, well, I'm gonna live forever when I die. But only one place in scriptures does Jesus define eternal life. And how does he define it? He says, this is eternal life, that they may know God. Eternal life, he's not talking about the duration of our life or the quantity of our life. He's talking about the quality of our life that we would know God, not know about God, not be able to check the boxes and answer questions, not be able to just answer a couple questions before we enter into the pearly gates, but that we would know God, that we would know the power of his resurrection, that we would have the life of God in us, the favor of God on us, that we would experience the blessing and the intimacy and this intimate relationship, an infinite relationship, yes, but eternal life starts now. Eternal life starts the moment that you put your trust in Jesus. And so I wonder, like, do you know him? 
Not know about him? Not have the faith of your, of your parents or your, or your grandparents, but do you truly know him? Good news. When it's good news, my voice just cracks, but like good news. <laughs> like you can know him today. That the person sitting in your seat, you can know God. That's eternal life. It's what Jesus is praying for. And you can be an answer to his prayer today. He prays that we would know eternal life. Second, Jesus prays for unity. He prays for unity. He prays in verse nine. He says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but those who you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name and the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus prayed that we would be one with death breathing down his neck. He didn't pray. He didn't pray for our happiness. He didn't pray for our security. He prayed for our unity. Why? Because our mission depends on it. Our mission depends on it. Jesus prayed that we would be that we would be one, that the same unity that exists in the Godhead between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that that would be the unity that we have as his church, as the church. Um, when I was over in Israel last year, I went to the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. It's the place where historically the church has said that, the, that that's where the, the tomb was. And so you can go and, and visit that place. And, and some of you maybe, if you visit that place, you've seen pictures of it. But did you, you know, do you see that little, that little uh, ladder up at the top? You see that ladder? Do you know the story behind this ladder? It's called the immovable ladder. Let me share with you the story about this ladder. In the 18th century, there was some infighting that was going on among Christians in Jerusalem. So the Ottoman Empire, who were Muslims, they divided up portions of the church to each denomination, dividing their rights and responsibilities. And it was agreed on that no one priest could do anything to the church without the consent of the other five groups. A while later, a stonemason left a little wooden ladder on the ledge, which could not be moved without all the other priests' permissions. And they couldn't agree so it stayed there for more than 200 years. And historians would look back and they go, how's unity going over there? How's unity going in the church in America? In 2020, we divided over masks. What are we going to do when persecution comes? Jesus prayed that we would be one. His prayer here, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you were in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Four times in this prayer, he prays for unity. It was what it was on his heart for the disciples. It was what was on his heart for us that we would experience unity. And he prays this over and over in this unity that's grounded based on this prayer in the, in the fact that he is the Messiah, that he is the son of God, that we'd be united and we'd, have, we'd come together. We'd share that in common, that belief and trust that Jesus is Messiah. And we'd share in common a devotion to the apostles' teaching. 
That's what Jesus said, that we would believe in what, what they've taught us, what the apostles have taught us, and that we would share in common our mission, that we would come together for a mission that's bigger than us. We would give our lives to a mission that's worth giving our life, that the world would know him. Give our lives to that. That's unity. Now, this doesn't, this doesn't mean that we agree about everything. If you meet two people who agree about everything, it means one of them's not thinking. But it means we come together in what's primary. And just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean you hate them. I've never met a parent who agrees with everything that their child has done. But that doesn't mean that that parent hates their child. I can promise you this. Jesus does not agree with everything I said or did or thought this past week. But he loves me unconditionally. And he loves you unconditionally too. And he prays that we would be, that we would be one. And when there's easy division, there's shallow love. And so why is unity such a big deal for God? In verse 21, he said, he prays that this is how the world will know, how the world will know him by our unity. In verse 23, he says that by our unity, that the world will know that he's the son of God. And so unity creates belief disunity fosters disbelief. Have you ever been to a restaurant and seen a couple fighting? And they are so into it, like they're really into it, and they're so into it that they're oblivious that everybody else is watching. Have you ever done that? And you, when, you, when you see a couple fighting, like, have you ever like listened to what's going on? Have you ever tried to listen and figure, anybody, else, anybody just want to confess? I'm not asking if you're the couple. I'm saying, anybody ever listen? <laughs> listen, anybody with me? Anybody? You need to mind your own business. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I will listen too. I listen and I'm going, and you know what? I want to know what's going on at their table, but I don't want to be at their table. <laughs> Have you ever walked into a restaurant and seen a group together, a family together, maybe some friends or maybe a couple together and like their conversation, they are so like they're laughing and they're having fun and there's so much joy that's going on there. And you're like, I want to scoop my chair up to their table. Jesus said, this is how they'll know you're my disciples, that you love one another. And that it would be multiracial and multi-generational, and that there would be an invitation for others to come up to the table and know the love of God through what they experience there. And so when we bring love to the mix and when we when we refuse division over trivial matters, we come together in, in what is primary in our faith. And then we welcome one another and we work out situations and conversations in love. But there is such a spirit of offense that is at work in the world right now. And Jesus said, it's by your unity that the world would know. So he prays for our unity. And when we bring our unity together, we live into that prayer. And then Jesus prays for our protection. Verse 11, he says, I remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. And while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. If you just praise for our protection, if you've ever had kids who are now driving, you know that there are two things that go up with that. And one is insurance and the other is your prayer life. And somebody designed this app called Life360. And the way this thing works is like you can monitor where, where your kids are and where they are when they're driving. And so you see this little icon with their face and they're just moving around town. And it is helpful, but it's horrible. 
because your heart is just riding around on the interstate, you know, as they go. And you're like, you're separated from them. And so Jesus knew that the time was coming where he would be leaving. And so he's praying for their protection. And when he prays for their protection, protect them from the, from the world, he's talking about the evil one. When he talks about the world, he's not talking about the earth and he's not, talking about, he's not talking about humanity. He's praying, would you protect them from the evil one? Would you protect them from Satan? Because Satan is the one that's pulling the strings. When he talks about the world, he's talking about the world's, the world's system, ideas, values, beliefs that are godless. And Satan wants to pry us away from God. Satan hates you. He hates you, but he doesn't care about you. He just wants to get to Jesus. He just wants to get to God. And even the mafia knows if you want to, get, if you want to go after somebody, you go after their children. And so Satan wants to go after God by going after his children. And so Jesus prays for our protection but we still have a role to play, to stay close to God, to stay close to other believers, to stay in his word, to stay in prayer, to be quick to confess, to be quick to repent, to bring our heart back to him. He prays for, un- he prays for protection, but we have a role. We have a role to play. We live into that prayer. And then number four, Jesus prays for our joy. Verse 13, he prays, I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. And there is this, um, there is this quote by, and those who are getting ready to be baptized there, we're excited for y'all. Talk about joy. There's this quote by this uh, British theologian, 19th century. He said, joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. Isn't that great? Like that the king is in residence in the heart and Jesus wants your joy to be full. Joy is a relational word. And Jesus is the most joyous person in the universe. And he wants his joy to be your joy. He wants to fill your, I wonder what has drained your joy? What has taken your joy? Where have you lost your joy? You're not gonna find it in things and stuff or even in other relationships because other relationships are fragile. But that drives us to the one whose joy is unending and he's going, I want to fill you up with joy that would overflow, that his joy would be in us. Will you let him restore your joy today? Would you let him fill you up with his joy? Baptism Sunday, man, when somebody comes up out of that water, you can see joy on their face. What a picture of joy. They're like the flag is flying over the castle. Joy of heaven is here in that heart. Not just joy of that heart. Jesus tells us when even one person repents and returns to the Father, that all of heaven breaks out in a celebration, that there is a part. He says the angels rejoice. (laughs) So the angels celebrate. And then I love being in a room like this where we get to celebrate together where we get to share in the joy of what God is doing that's eternal, that somebody is saying, I've put my trust in Jesus, I've received eternal life. That's what Jesus is praying for. It matters when you pray. It matters when other people pray for you, but especially Jesus. And what's he praying for you today? That you would have eternal life, that you would know God. He's praying for unity. 
Maybe the most spiritual thing you can do is send a text, make a phone call, or have a conversation. To not let a trivial rift bring disunity into the body. He's praying for your protection. God will protect you by his name from the evil one, but we have a role to play. And he's praying for your joy. And if you've never received eternal life, if you've never been reconciled with God, if you've never had a relationship with him through Jesus, today you can begin that. Not know about him, but know him. Today you can do that. And I'd love to lead you in a prayer. And after we pray this prayer, um, you're going to have an opportunity to respond. Um, And maybe today the response is baptism. Say, I want to let everybody else know what Jesus has done in here. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would you search our hearts for those who would say that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to begin new life with you. God, I pray that um, that this prayer would be their prayer and maybe, maybe, maybe the response is just to open their hands. Just like Jesus, you opened your hands. You lifted up your eyes. Maybe the response for them is just to open up their hands. And you're just saying to God, I receive. You don't work for your salvation, you receive it. It is grace, by grace through faith. And by grace through faith, pray something like this. Father, thank you for loving me. I'm I'm a sinner. I've made a mess of things on my own. God, I need you. I need you. I need you. believe that Jesus went to the cross for my sin. And I believe that he's raised from the dead. Right now, would you bring new life to me? Eternal life to me. I want to live for you here on earth and live with you forever in heaven. Thank you for saving me. Father, I pray for those that made that their prayer today. Would you give them courage? Would you give them boldness to take a next step and let somebody know? Private faith lacks power. Public faith is contagious. So would you bless the public faith of those who are being baptized today? And God, would would your joy be in them? And would their joy be our joy? And we'd rejoice together with heaven for what you're doing. It's in Jesus' name we pray.